This is the Gartner Podcast for Supply Chain Leaders. Hi, I'm Caroline Chumakos, and welcome to another episode of the Gartner Supply Chain Podcast. We sit down with some of supply chain's best thinkers, innovators, and leaders to share with you leading insights for driving supply chain success. And joining me today is Senior Director at Gartner, Susie Petrusik. She's recently led a body of research on how CSCOs use technology to make trade-off decisions in their globally extended supply chains. But I think our conversation today will have you questioning what a good decision looks like and the role that technology should play. Susie, thanks so much for joining us and sharing some of your findings here. Of course. Thanks for having me. I want to dive right into a perception that I think most of us have as supply chain leaders and maybe even as human beings. There's an expectation that if our decisions include digital trade-off analysis, then those decisions will be better. I mean, if I go to my weather app on my phone, it's going to help me know what type of code to put on. If I go to Netflix, it's going to recommend a show based on what I've been watching. So it helps me to choose what I might like to watch next. And of course, if I open Google Maps, it's going to tell me the different routes that I could take to a destination, which is going to be longest or which is going to be shortest. So having this technology should improve the likelihood that I make a good decision, right? Yeah, I think those are all really great examples of how we can really use digital technology to improve our ability to make good decisions, especially when that digital technology is helping us with pretty simple decisions and in the immediate or near term. But if you'll grant me the permission a little bit to play the skeptic and put that skeptic's hat on, I think we all have examples of where digital technology has failed for us in trying to meet the mark, right? So I'll give you an example. A few months ago, I was traveling home from a quick overnight trip to D.C. I was a fully enabled digital traveler. I had my e-ticket in my wallet open, and I made my way to the gate. Now, I had noticed when I got to the gate that there was no destination on the gate monitor and no airline staff had arrived, but I was a little bit early. So I did what every seasoned traveler would do. I settled into whatever show it was I was watching on Netflix at the time. And it was much too late when I finally started getting a little suspicious and I went up to the airline ticket counter to find out what had happened. And they told me that the plane had just taken off from a different terminal altogether. And so in disbelief, I showed the desk clerk my e-ticket. See, gate E46, this is where this plane is supposed to be right now. And so I think if you add in your experiences of improved decision making, but you mix in a little bit of that one and maybe a Google Maps that may have told you there was a hazard up ahead and asked you if you wanted to change the route and you weren't sure if you did or not, we see a mixed picture emerging. And that's exactly what we found in our data. We found that 55% of respondents who thought they would have made better decisions without the technology were probably right. We compared decision makers who used digital trade-off analysis, things like simulations or what-if analyses to support their decisions, with those decision makers who did not use that kind of technology. 
and we found there was no statistically significant improvement in the rate of making a good decision. In fact, we found that global decision makers were slightly more likely to make a good decision without the use of that digital trade-off analysis. Well, one, I think many of us can relate to the story that you told. I think many of us have seen digital failings uh, when we sit down to think about it. But that's also a pretty bleak picture that you're painting with the data that you found in this survey work, given the amount of technology investments that we know CSCOs and supply chain leaders are making. But I'm sure there has to be some explanation for this the reason why we might not see the value we expect from digital trade-off analysis. So what did your research find here? Yep, that's exactly right, Caroline. We did find reasons that I think most of our listeners will find pretty intuitive and unsurprising. We found that global end-to-end decision makers estimated on average that their staff were deviating from the defined processes about 30 to 40% of the time. And so the digital decision models they were using weren't actually representing the reality for the supply chain that they were going to make a decision about. The second reason is that these decision makers are only using data-derived models about 38% of the time. Now, a data-derived model is a model that we get from running analytics or from actually mining processes digitally. And that is sort of opposed to a human-derived model where we're sort of looking at process maps or we're referencing our past experiences to kind of guess at what variables we think we should put into the decision models that we're going to use. And so we found that those data-derived models were only being used about 38% of the time. But it wasn't because the decision makers didn't want to use them. We found that those same decision makers estimated that on average, only about 40 to 50% of all of the relevant processes were even fully digitized in the first place. And we know that that's a fundamental prerequisite to being able to use those data-derived models. And so without sufficient progress on process adherence, And without the use of those data-derived models, the other investments that a lot of supply chains are making today in trying to get to analytics clarity become moot. You can't actually use them. Global decision makers would have clarity, but it's clarity about what decision they should make for a supply chain that just doesn't exist. So in practice, this means that global end-to-end decision makers are using digital decision models that on average, capture only about 20 to 30% of the actual on-the-ground processes that impact the KPIs they're optimizing for. That's fascinating, Susie. So we know that most of our processes are still analog and not digitized. And even if they are, they're seemingly not really capturing the full picture of the supply chain. So it feels as if the supply chain has really two choices. Our supply chain leaders are faced with two choices, which is to try to close the digital to reality gap by maybe returning to what we know, which is very siloed, isolated technology solutions, implementing for planning or for manufacturing or for logistics, or to continue fumbling forward with investments that aren't really providing the return that we'd like. Neither of these sound really great. So Please tell me that there's some kind of alternative. Sure, yeah. And that's exactly the question that we asked when we were working on this research project. We wanted to know, is there a third way? 
And what we found is that there is one. And we kind of found it by following the digital models that we're using and trying to figure out who actually can see into the supply chain to know where that digital to reality gap is, who can uncover it. And that's what took us to really look deeper into these cross-functional decision makers that are at a more regional or localized level and whether or not empowering those decision makers made sense as a means of getting to the return on these digital investments. And what we found is it actually is more effective. So those decision makers at a cross-functional regional level use their human visibility. What we mean by that is their knowledge of that digital to reality gap. They know what variables they should be considering in their decision models. They know whether or not all of those variables are included in the digital models they may be using as a baseline. And they're able to really assess the accuracy of the data that is being used to represent those variables in the models. And so when they have that human visibility at the cross-functional level, our research shows that they have a lot of benefits in making better decisions. So they are able to make better decisions more often than their global counterparts, and they make more good decisions than they do bad ones. These local cross-functional decision makers outperform their global counterparts by nearly 11 percentage points. And so what we found is that these localized cross-functional decision makers actually do make better decisions in that by leveraging their human visibility, and I don't want to put too fine a point on this, but just to emphasize, and doing nothing new to our current digital technology investments, we can improve decision-making by, our data suggests, 11 percentage points just by empowering them to make some of these more strategic decisions. That's so interesting, Susie. And you've just been discussing the opportunity in empowering more local cross-functional decision makers. I do think some of our listeners might be wondering, okay, what does this look like in a supply chain organization? So for those that might have different type of supply chain or be from different industries, could you give us an example of a role that might fit into this category of local cross-functional decision maker? Yeah, absolutely. And this is a question that we often get when we share this research with our clients. So they're asking us, who are these local cross-functional decision makers? What we did is we went out and surveyed individuals who had made recent strategic decisions in their supply chains. And so we asked for them to be director level or above. And we had asked them if they had recently made a strategic decision for their supply chain organizations and a decision that had to be executed across at least three supply chain functions. So it had to touch three out of plan, source, make, deliver, fulfill. And so you can imagine in your own organizations, something like a decision maker at a regional or even a country level or a head of a business unit who is responsible for decisions like SNOP or SNOE, disruption response decisions, customer allocation decisions, and so forth and so on. Those were the kinds of decisions and decision makers that we included in our survey. That's really helpful. Now, of course, it sounds like there's an immense opportunity in empowering these individuals, but I'm curious how decision-making looks different going forward. So if we talk about decision ownership, 
there are some pretty significant ramifications and question marks. And I think for many leaders, it can be a bit scary to make changes in the space of decision ownership. So how do CSCOs know what decisions they should send down to these individuals or, or down into the organization? Yeah, this is another great question and one that we do hear from our clients. A lot of the time, our clients do feel uncomfortable pushing strategic decisions down, and it is very counterintuitive. We want to push down those decisions that actually are less ambiguous and more driven by repetition or by a digital trade-off analysis that is more complete in its picture of what's going on. But I think we know that a lot of that is driven by a bias against functional and siloed decision-making. So that's what we have on the one hand, the choice to make them functionally and in a siloed way. We know that that's not going to work out well for the supply chain. And so we go to the opposite extreme, global end-to-end decisions, but we sacrifice that middle ground where we're talking about these local cross-functional decision makers who have that human visibility. And so what we're finding is that organizations who push down those decisions that actually are more ambiguous and less digitized are finding really good results in their decision execution as compared to when they were making those decisions at the global level. And so we have one organization that shared with us their story. It was American Sugar Group. They actually have been working on determining what decisions they should push down to the local cross-functional level and which ones should be global. But instead of assuming that the global was going to be in a better position to make those decisions, what they actually did was they tested it. They ran kind of an experiment. The global chief supply chain officer allowed the decisions to be made at that cross-functional local level and then just recorded the results. What did they actually achieve once that decision had been executed? And then they compared those results with the global decision maker's decision. If that decision had been taken at the global level, what would a global decision maker have decided to do? And what would that digital trade-off analysis have led them to expect as an outcome? So they looked at those expected or predicted outcomes at the global level, and then they looked at the actually achieved outcomes at the cross-functional level. And what they found was that in most cases, not all, but in most cases, the local cross-functional decision maker was outperforming those global decision models. So the ASR case is so interesting because it's powerful yet so simple. I think one thing we could easily take away from it is that we test first and we measure what happens. And clearly they saw this impact that you found in your own research, but that kind of simple view allows us to at least pilot whether decision-making at that level makes more sense. It also sounds like part of this shift that ASR was creating might have to do with decision quality or might factor in decision quality as well, which I think is a concern for most CSCOs. So how does a CSCO make sure that these more local decision makers are making a quality decision? Yep. Another great question. So I'll first point to what American Sugar did in order to maintain that decision quality over time. What they did is they actually created a lot of good role clarity and assigned responsibility and accountability at different levels within their organization. 
And so for the global decision maker, they tried to ensure that that global decision maker retained the ultimate authority to say what the goal ought to be. And so if you're thinking about your KPIs or you're thinking about your priorities or your decision principles, that decision remains with the global decision maker or the CSCO. The local cross-functional decision maker takes that goal and then has the responsibility to develop a decision model leveraging that human visibility into the cross-functional supply chain. They build that model and they take ownership over the decision model itself. Now, the CSCO or the global decision maker can have some insight, some visibility, and a little bit of governance ownership over that decision model, but ultimately the responsibility lies with that cross-functional decision maker. Now, the third party that's involved here is the analytics team. And so while they are able to examine the decision model and influence the decision maker about what should go into their digital decision model, they don't have ownership over building it, but they do have clear ownership over running the analytics on it. And so they are clearly responsible for the analytics and for providing the information that that local cross-functional decision maker needs in order to make a good decision. And then that decision, once it's executed, somebody has to be responsible for it. And American Sugar has made it clear that that local cross-functional decision maker is the accountable party for the decision's execution and outcome. And so by having some very clear role alignment and division, but also allowing for some governance, they're able to ensure that they're making good quality decisions over the long term and maintaining that comparative advantage for the cross-functional when it makes sense and for the global when it makes sense to keep some of those decisions at the global level. So pushing decisions down to these more local decision makers doesn't mean taking your hands off of the wheel as a CSCO or as a senior leader. It's really about providing the right guardrails and clarity of roles and responsibilities to make sure that those decisions are made with quality, which makes sense. Now, I think there's a theme that we've maybe been talking about throughout this conversation, Susie, which is local empowerment. And I do think there's a lot of interest from CSCOs to empower their people, these maybe more local decision makers. But you mentioned this earlier, there's also a concern about more local decision makers losing sight of the bigger picture. So how does a CSCO make sure that their local cross-functional decision makers are optimizing for global and even end-to-end KPIs? That's another great question. And I think one that a lot of our CSCOs are wondering about, how can I make sure, even though I set a goal out for these decision makers, is there a way that I can actually help them understand whether or not they're contributing to that goal, helping it, or harming it? Well, we found one case study with Schlumberger, who was trying to reduce their overall global total lead time. And so in order to do that, they began to understand that trying to model total lead time across the entire organization was a very complicated model, and it wasn't super helpful for anybody to try to process the model at that level. And so what they did is they divided their supply chain into nine different segments and then isolated the variables that come from each one of those segments and began to look at how those variables were impacting total lead time. And they put a decision maker at the top of each one of those segments. 
that decision maker had visibility into the cross-functional aspects of total lead time. And so they were able to isolate the variables that were more or less impactful within that segment. So that gave those cross-functional leaders two pieces of information. First, what actually was impacting total lead time? And then what was impacting it more or less than the other variables? So they could really target the interventions that they were making to those variables that were the most impactful for the overall total lead time goal that they were sort of tasked to improve. And so they were able to connect very local levers at the cross-functional level up to this global end-to-end metric. And by doing so, they were able to really inspire a lot of confidence that those local cross-functional decision makers were pulling the right levers and in the right direction. Mm, That's so interesting, Susie. Now, the way that we always love to end these episodes, of course, is with a few final recommendations for our listeners. So I'm curious if in this exploration for a better digital or data-powered decision, what is a recommendation that you would provide to our listeners? Yeah, sure. I think we can sort of summarize it in three not so easy, but definitely memorable steps. The first one is to start to localize more of these decisions that we typically want to take at the global level. I can say what we know right now is that these decision makers at the local level are making better decisions. And so with your current digital technology, you can probably switch some of these decisions and do nothing else. And you may see an improvement in the rate of good decisions in your organization just by doing that. But we don't want those individuals to have to rely on human analysis of all of those variables that aren't included in their digital decision models today. And so the second recommendation we have is to work with your analytics teams to ensure that their decision models are becoming digitized. So you want to try to digitize all of that human visibility that they have, but let them direct your attention to the most important variables first, because they probably know what they are. And then the third recommendation is just the old advice. Keep digitizing. The better models that you have, the better decisions you're going to make. And so if you can get more of your decision makers to use digitally derived or data derived models, then you're probably going to see some improvements in the number of good decisions you're making. Fantastic. Susie, thank you so much for joining us today to share some really thought provoking research on optimizing the role of technology in decision making. The research that covers these insights in depth is accessible to clients via the link in the show notes or by simply going to Gartner.com and searching for leverage human visibility and data analytics for better decision making. As always, if you've enjoyed our show, please be sure to go to Gartner.com, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you've listened to our podcasts and give us a five-star rating as well as subscribe to make sure you never miss an episode. Thank you all for tuning in. I'm Caroline Chuikov, and we'll see you next time. Please subscribe and share the episode with your colleagues. Thank you for listening. Gartner Podcasts are a production of Gartner, the world's leading research and advisory company, equipping executives across the enterprise with indispensable insight, advice, and tools to achieve their mission-critical priorities. You can learn more at Gartner.com. All content in Gartner Podcasts is owned by Gartner and cannot be repurposed or reproduced without Gartner's consent. Gartner is an impartial, independent analyst of business and technology.
This content should not be construed as a Gartner endorsement of any enterprise's product or services. All content provided by other speakers is expressly the views of those speakers and their organizations.